Southwest Airlines has a slogan, you are now free to move about the country. And I think in my lifetime, that has never been more untrue. I actually saw this week that Southwest just here in Denver alone is furloughing something like 550 or 600 employees from DIA alone. And as this global pandemic has disrupted all of our lives, one of the predominant things that I'm feeling and probably something that is pervasive in the back of your mind, if not the front of your mind, is a longing for freedom, a longing for autonomy. Because you know you can't just go wherever you want to go. You can't gather with everyone that you want to gather with if you're like us. I mean, this is the first Thanksgiving where because we have five people in our family, the governor says you can't have one additional person in your house. That's not what we're accustomed to around the holidays. That did not feel like freedom. You know, you're not free to go into places without one of these things. And some of you, maybe not some of you in particular, but I say you in general, um, you know, that feels like an invasion of some constitutional right not to wear a mask. And you feel inhibited there. Um, Going through this election season that we just went through, I see another layer where our freedoms have been highly politicized. And you know this. But each side kind of promises you, if you vote for me and you vote for my party and you vote for my policies, you get these endless freedoms. I will protect your freedoms. This other terrible person, you know, they're out to just take your freedoms away. And they just pit these various freedoms one against another. And I'll, I'll give you a little clue about American politics. Like each party has certain freedoms, whether you think freedom, capital F, like constitutional freedom or just like freedoms that they protect and other ones they really don't care about. And just, you, you kind of vote of like, well, those particular things are more important to me than these other things. But it's an argument in the world of politics. As I mentioned last Sunday, oppression in our society, while many of you may not experience it, and you may not even be around people where you see it, it is still a very real thing that those without money and power and status and privilege do often experience real, hurtful oppression. They are not free to have the same experiences, probably many of us. Now, there were many reasons for the protests over the summer here in our city and around the country. But as I said last week, one of them was a longing for justice. As I'll tell you this week, one of those reasons, at least one of those reasons, was a longing for freedom. That people got sick and tired of masks or a certain kind of policing, whether that was real or imagined or some hybrid of those things. They they looked at society and just said, enough. I'm going to go where I want to go right now. I'm going to do what I want to do. And the government cannot stop me from getting together with all these other people and doing this thing. And that is the literal definition of autonomy. Autonomy comes from the Greek autonomos, which is literally self-law. The idea is I'm a law unto myself. I decide for myself. I have the liberty to be who I want to be. I have the liberty to do what I want to do. And to the degree that someone else, even an authority, disagrees with me, I'm going to do what I want to do. And that's our first point, the longing of our culture. 
Autonomy or freedom is a premier virtue. It is the highest good of a progressive or modern culture. Dale Kuhn says it this way, the I world, and he takes that from like the iPhone, if you picture iPad. He says, the I world makes individual freedom its non-negotiable value. Freedom of individual choice is the highest ideal of the I world. If you don't know this, a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand years ago, many, many people just accepted this is my lot in life. They resigned themselves to their traditional roles and they just kind of did their duty. But not today. Right? Not today. Today, in the words of Invictus, we think more like this I am the master of my own fate, I am the captain of my own soul, I want the sovereign right of absolute self-determination. I determine who my friends are. I determine my style. I determine what I put in my body. I determine where I go. I determine my vocation. I determine where I live. I determine when and where and how I spend my money and my time. Nobody tells me how to do these things. And by and large, the list of things I just gave you are fairly harmless. Okay, you have your style, you eat what you eat, you like what you like, and that's probably fine most of the time. But the I world has taken this longing for freedom or autonomy several steps further where we also say things like this, I determine what I believe. In fact, I determine categories like truth and right and wrong. And you can have your truth, you can have your morality, you can have your religion, you can have your beliefs, but if those don't square with the, 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 the reality that I'm creating, and we hear that kind of talk, like we're creating our own reality, our own world, our own truth, I determine all that. I determine my sexual orientation and even my gender. And if you do something I disagree with, then I determine my reactions, okay? And all of this feels like freedom to our culture, right? If you take away this right of self-determination from someone in our culture, they feel like a slave. If you give it to them and say, just go where you want, do what you want, be anyone you want to be, that feels like freedom to our culture. The more I determine for myself, the freer I am, the more other people determine things for me, well, that's bad. So before we go to the ancient longing, I just want to ask you, can you relate on some level to this longing? Maybe especially during this pandemic season, can you relate to the longing to just be free, to just go do something that you always used to do, to be with people you always used to be with, to have something you always used to have? Can you relate to this longing for freedom from certain things and a freedom to other certain things of your choosing. Can you relate to that? See, the, the Old Testament people of God, now going back to the ancient longing that we're connecting to in this Advent season, they longed for freedom. They longed for autonomy. And in their case, the oppression was often literal. The, the exile, the slavery, the bondage, the deportments to a foreign land, those were not figures of speech. It wasn't like, oh, I feel like I'm in bondage to this. They were in bondage, and they understood that. 
And as you read through the Old Testament, it's no surprise that one of the continual cries of the people of God is simply something like, Lord, hear us, deliver us from these various kinds of bondage. I was just skimming through the Psalms this week and Psalm after Psalm after Psalm just has this language of, Lord, come and deliver us from the hand of the oppressor or something along those lines. And God's response to encourage you over and over was things like this, Ezekiel 34, 27. And they shall know that I am the Lord. I am Yahweh when I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslave them. Or something like Isaiah 61, verse 1, where the Messiah here is speaking and says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And one of the greatest hopes of those Old Testament saints that we're trying to relate to this morning was simply a longing that that Messiah that anointed Savior King sent from God would, would break the yoke of their captivity, would loose the bonds of their oppression, and that they would be free. And this is why, by, by the way, in the, in the period of the prophets, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and then even in the 400 years of what's called the intertestamental period. So the, the last verse of the Old Testament is written, and you have 400 years before Matthew 1, verse 1. And over and over again, what happened in that lengthy period of hundreds of years, of generations, is that there was this whole series of false messiahs, of men who just popped on the scene and said, I am the Jewish Messiah. Come and follow me, and I will raise an army, and I will train you, and we will revolt against these various world superpowers. And obviously they failed time and again because they were not the true Messiah. Um, before I go on, I, I want to point out the people of God in the Old Testament had another problem that was related to the first, because the, the enslavement, the oppression was not just from without the foreign enemies. It was also from within. And you read again, page after page after page of the prophets of God, the mouthpiece of God, pointing out the rich oppress the poor. The strong oppress the weak, the healthy oppress the sick, the religious leaders of God's people oppressed basically everyone. And part of this cry for deliverance is not just, Lord, save us from Babylon, save us from Persia, save us from Egypt, save us from Rome. It was, God, save us from our own leadership that have abdicated their responsibility to bring us before God and to serve us in the presence of God because we are oppressed. Let's talk about some problems with our longing, and these certainly extend back into the Old Testament. You can, you can see them in them. So if you don't see these in yourself, you know, pick up the pages of Scripture and read, and you can be like, oh yeah, they, they had this problem. Okay, first of all, the first problem with our longing for freedom is that we actually define freedom too narrowly. What I mean is modern culture, much like ancient culture, tends to define freedom this way. We think the problem, we think the oppression, or the oppressors, is all out there. So today, if you talk to a progressive culture, a modern culture about freedom and autonomy, they will say autonomy is as simple as getting rid of authority, getting rid of religion, 
getting rid of the clamps of traditional morals and ethics and having the freedom to call our own shots. Because if I can get rid of people and principles that tell me what to do with my life and I can call my own shots, then I'm free. But what's missing from that definition of freedom? The problem is, even if you could be free from every single source of external, outside-in oppression, you would still have yourself. So to put it like this, what good is it to have a body that's free if your mind isn't? What good is it if you have a free will to do whatever you want, but what you choose to do with what you want is actually self-destructive? Ironically, I was sitting here, I was up in the uh, second floor green room, prep room, board room, waiting on a furniture delivery the other day as I was writing these words right here, studying this topic. And so I'm, I'm sitting there in front of the window and I'm writing and kind of meditating and looking at some scriptures and people watching and doing all of this at the same time for a number of hours. So I'm writing this point right here and I'm watching these, well, I'm watching a parade of people go by as always does. And these two particular guys were in the parking lot across the street And one of them in his backpack had a a giant bottle of vodka and another bottle of apple juice. And for for an hour, these guys just took turn taking a big swig of the vodka and then a big swig of the apple juice. And within an hour, they were both completely passed out in the parking lot, okay? You're, You're not supposed to drink that much vodka. Whatever you think of hard liquor, a giant bottle split two ways is not a good idea, okay? They were, they were wasted. So I thought, here are two people, or here are a bunch of people, really, who are free from external oppression. No one is telling them where they have to go, at least right now. Now, I know there are many other factors at work. We work with the homeless. There are many other things going on in their lives. But in that moment, they were free from external oppression. They were free to choose what they wanted to do. And what they wanted to do was abuse drugs and alcohol, abuse their own bodies and minds. Okay, and lest you think I'm making fun of them or making an example of them, I actually sat there and thought, this is a graphic example of all of us. That even when we are free from external slavery, we are not truly free unless our insides are also free. And that shows us a second and related problem that not only do we define freedom too narrowly, but we also create all kinds of new and additional bondage with the freedoms that we have. Now, I know we still have plenty of work to do, but the United States right now is one of the freest societies in the history of all societies. Okay, that doesn't mean that we as followers of Jesus still fight against oppression and fight for the liberation of the body and soul but I just mean we're, we're pretty free, most of us, to do what we want. And we are a nation of addicts. You can read this in, in secular psychology journals. And there are obvious things like addiction to drugs, to alcohol, to pornography. But there are also significant addictions to things like social media. 
I mean, some of you probably have seen Social Dilemma, and whether you agree with everything in there, this thing of like, I have to go back and check, and I have to keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling to get that little hit of endorphins that excite me because someone affirmed something that I said or posted or did. We are addicted to video games, entertainment. We're addicted to the approval of others. We're addicted, our culture is addicted to fun. Life just has to be fun all the time. And COVID's not fun, right? So COVID is bondage, and it, it truly is. But, but we're not truly free, is my point, because there are things that we do with our own external freedom that enslave us, that control us. We have not rejected Jesus and said, no, you can't be the master of my life. You can't be the Lord of my life because I want to be free, and then we're just free, Rebecca Pippert says it this way, whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by the people he or she wants to please. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. And some of you know some of your worst prisons are prisons of your own making. And they're all the more damning because in lucid moments of meditation, you know, no one has done this to me. I'm doing this to myself and I don't have the power to stop. See, what, what good is autonomy if your mind is enslaved to anxiety? What good is autonomy if your heart is enslaved to lust? What good is autonomy if your soul is enslaved to the validation of others. And that brings us to a third problem with our longing for freedom is that we pursue freedoms and we try to exercise our freedoms in ways that contradict reality. Here's what I mean. Let's say a fish gets sick and tired of that awful enslavement of living in the sea. And so one day during high tide, he wriggles his way down between some rocks and he just waits it out. Like the tide's gonna go down and there's just gonna be this amazing freedom on the beach. I'll be free. I'll be free. I can, I can run around the land and I can finally do what I want. And I don't know if it's like finding Nemo or something, but like my parents can't tell me what to do anymore. I'll be free. It's gonna be amazing. And it starts gasping for breath on that beautiful beach and realizes that freedom that contradicts reality or that is not corresponding to reality or to identity doesn't work. But I just think to myself often, how many human beings are doing the same thing and they're longing for freedom, which so often is a good and healthy and God-given longing, but we try to exercise that longing in ways that don't correspond to God's design. For example, and I know this is gonna be super popular in a progressive place like urban Denver, you look at what so many people are doing with their gender and sexuality and they're using that in ways that do not correspond to God's reality. And it doesn't go well. And people can sit there and they can pat them on the back and say, you're so bold and brave and courageous and enlightened. You go, yeah, you do you. And, and I would encourage you, if you think of encouraging those people along those lines, don't continue that until you've sat with them on the backside of that when they're feeling all kinds of shame and rage and regret. 
not because someone else imposes shame and rage and regret on them, but because they feel it because it doesn't correspond to reality. And I think it's indicative of how many of our chosen freedoms come with devastating consequences that we have no control over. I mean, so many decisions in life should come with a warning sign. Warning, you can choose this. You have the freedom to choose this. You have the autonomy to choose this. You do not have the freedom to choose the consequences. And you know who really seems to understand this is the great theologian Taylor Swift. In her most recent album, Folklore, she writes in Illicit Affairs, some of the best theology I've heard in a long time, where she says, take, take the road less traveled by. Tell yourself you can always stop. What is that? The longing for freedom, the longing to be courageous, the longing that you do you. Goes on, what started in beautiful rooms ends with meetings in parking lots. And that's the thing about illicit affairs and clandestine meetings and longing stares. It's born from just one single glance, but it dies and it dies and it dies a million little times. I'm not going to quote the whole thing, but she goes on, and you want to scream, don't call me kid, don't call me baby, look at this God-forsaken mess that you made me. Okay, that's a person who understands, I have the freedom to do with my body and my life what I want. And she's talking about affairs, sexual affairs. I'll do what I want. I'm courageous. I'm taking the road less traveled. But on the flip side of this experience, she's saying what? It's unraveled. I, I, I couldn't control the outcome and it was not good because it didn't correspond to reality. And this all brings us back to Jesus this morning because friends, without a true liberator, we will simply live our lives trading some form of bondage for another, for another, for another, for another. I'm free. I'm not going to sit under the bondage of traditional sexual ethics. Okay, fine. That's your choice. But you'll find a new bondage there. And then another and another. We need Jesus. And let me just show you quickly this fulfillment in Jesus. I had you go to Luke 4. This is one of my all-time favorite texts because Jesus is near the beginning of his ministry. He's begun, Mark and the other gospels say, he's begun proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, which in Jesus' realm means two simultaneous things. It means that good news, the message of a deliverer, the message of forgiveness and freedom in himself, in Christ. But the Bible says simultaneously he is healing the sick. He is casting out demons. He is opening the eyes of the blind. He's opening the ears of the deaf. He is liberating them from things like leprosy. And he's showing them what? He's saying, in order to get you to believe and be convinced that I can do invisibly in your soul what you deeply need, I'll show it to you in your body. It's like the lame guy that, that he says, which is easier, to say, rise, take your bed and walk, or to say your sins are forgiven? Well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because nobody can falsify that. How are they going to prove that you did or didn't do that? And he says, but in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, I say, rise, take up your bed and walk. So this is what Jesus is doing. Is he's proving I can liberate you from all things and I'm going to show you with your physical body, okay? Luke 4, beginning in verse 16. And he, that is Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, 
The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And it says, and he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, this liberator has come and he's at work in your midst. Now, point five, the already and the not yet, I do wanna hasten to point out that no, Jesus was not the kind of liberator that the Jews longed for. You know, and in fact, it's the reason why so many Jews have rejected him as the Messiah and said, you, you can't be our king. We're still looking, we're still waiting for someone else because the reality is Jesus did not come. He did not raise an army. He did not liberate them from the grip of Rome. They were a, they were a service state of Rome. Rome was in control during Jesus' entire lifetime and then Rome executes Jesus. So that doesn't look like the kind of liberty that the Jews wanted. But hear me out. That's the kind of liberty the Jews needed. And it's the kind of liberty that you and I need. See, gospel freedom is not primarily, it is not first and foremost an external freedom. It is primarily internal. And Jesus comes, this is what we celebrate at Christmas, he comes and he lives the life that you and I ought to have lived and he dies the judgment death that you and I deserve to die. But he does that to free us from the power of sin and death and judgment and hell. In other words, your point A, Jesus already freed you from everything that can destroy you. And as we look back to the first advent, this is the, this is the big point I'm highlighting this morning. If you are longing for freedom, then long for Jesus. Look for Jesus. Invite him to be active in your life because he has already liberated you from everything that could truly destroy you. Richard said this in the, the pastoral prayer earlier, but Jesus died and rose from the dead to liberate us from both the penalty for sin and also the power of it. So in Christ, you will not be punished for the things that you've done, not, not, not in an ultimate way. There will be consequences in this life, but you will not be separated from God because of Jesus. And that, that sin that tempts you it still tempts you, but it does not have ultimate power over you. You do not have to submit to it. But here's the thing. You all know sin is still present. It's still there. And you may be like, I know sin doesn't destroy me, but it sure does discourage me. It disheartens me. It defeats me. In this in-between time, I do have temptation, a lot of them. So we're still looking forward to a day and this is your point B, that Jesus will come again to make us comprehensively free. Not a partial freedom, not just a spiritual freedom, but in every sense of that word, you will be completely free in Jesus. So let's close with three quick, so what? Okay, practical. What do I do with this? Well, the first thing is, it'll take you a long way in life It'll serve you well 
if you learn to recognize the nature of true freedom. See, freedom and autonomy actually should not be used as interchangeable words. Autonomy, again, that idea of like, I'm a law unto myself. If you live that way, you can never actually experience the truest and the fullest freedom. Just do whatever you want to do. As I said before, that leads you into new bondage. It rids you of some masters that you want to be rid of, but it puts you under the authority of other masters that, that some short time in, you're going to realize, I don't like this master either. So that's not true freedom. But if we recognize that true freedom is this, true freedom is the willingness to live in the fullness of God's design for your life. This is how David and others can say, I, I look into your law, the perfect law of liberty. And we're like, wait, wait, is it a law or is it liberty? Because it, it's not both. Because I'm giving up liberty to put myself under the law. But this is how the scripture can say it is the law of liberty. Because if you live in accordance, in alignment with God's design for your life, that is true freedom. So I have up here this little cheap toolkit we keep in the back. And it has various tools, okay? So I've got like a hammer. I've got a wrench. What else I got? There's some cool stuff. Oh, here's a screwdriver. So I always think like, you know, when I'm just troubleshooting stuff around here and you find stuff that's breaking and falling apart and a screw's coming loose or something, um, you know, what, what would you think if, if that screw's coming loose and you're like, I, actually, I have a screw right here. And I just think like, there, I'll just do, I'll just do stuff like this. And well, that's, 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 that's not what this was designed for, you know? Well, maybe I'll try this one and, you know, it's same result. Like it's not, that's not what it's designed for. And I'm not, I'm not fixing any problems. I'm actually just literally creating new problems up here with my tools, okay? If you can look at simple, cheap tools like this and recognize each has a design, each has a designer, it's intended for certain purposes. And when you use the tool according to its designed purpose, in a sense, you have freedom. You have success. Okay? Um, if I wanted to, to paint these walls, I, I can't just come back here and be like, all right, somebody, somebody throw up a bucket of paint. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paint the walls. You know? And it's, I mean, it might be fun for a minute and loud and exciting, but it does not set this room free and it doesn't set me free. So recognize the nature of true freedom. That if we can speak of cheap tools and say they have a designer that has an intended purpose, how much more you and I who are made in the image of God have a design that if we look into the law of liberty and we align our lives with the character and the calling of God, friends, that's where true freedom is found. Secondly, receive Christ's offer of true freedom. And I know many of you have done this, but my, my point is simply, all of us have messed up God's design. Okay, all of us have used the hammer to set the screw, and, and we've used the screwdriver to pound nails in our lives, okay? We have not walked in accordance with God's design for our life. We've all fallen short of that. We've served other masters. We've reaped other forms of bondage and addiction. We all have. But the Bible says there's hope because of the first advent of Jesus. 
There's forgiveness, there's freedom. He gives us a new nature. And if we continue to walk in the freedom which is ours in Christ, which was the confession passage this morning from Paul, where he says, for freedom, Christ set you free. So don't go back and submit to a yoke of slavery when Jesus has set you free to be free. Just receive that offer of true freedom. And if you walk in that freedom of Jesus, listen, there is no shame. There is no guilt. There is no additional bondage here in Christ. There's only acceptance. And then finally, let's turn this inward-facing acceptance and rejoicing in freedom into an externally-facing reach others with a taste of true freedom. And I want to just simply, in closing, point you back to the life of Jesus, that when Jesus himself wanted people to understand something about the invisible reality of his deliverance of them from sin and shame and death and bondage and separation and this whole host of things, what does he do? He ministers to their physical bodies. He ministers to their minds. He ministers to their relationships. And he brings freedom and healing into all these other avenues of life and says, you want to know what my invisible spiritual freedom looks like? It looks like this, and this, and this, and this. And so again, friends, I know it's really hard in an era of COVID when we have our legitimate fears, we have our social distancing, we have our separation and our isolation, and this and that and the other, but we have got to fight to find ways of reaching other people with the real world gritty freedom of Jesus. And not just going and sitting at home and binging on Netflix because we have more free time on our hands. And especially during this Advent and Christmas season, which is going to take us right into next year. And then Easter is going to be on top of us before we even know it when we're celebrating freedom over death. We've got to find ways like Jesus, yeah, we're not opening the eyes of the blind. We're not expelling the demons. We're not healing the sick. But how can we identify forms of bondage and enslavement around us and say, as a follower of Jesus, I say no to these things. I say no with my time. I say no with my money. I say no with the first and best intentions of my day to reach others with a taste of freedom. So friends, let Jesus define and satisfy your longings for freedom.